Well, praise the Lord, we're continuing our study through the book of Mark. Last week we talked about how Jesus told a parable that was directed at the Pharisees and, and the leaders at that time to kind of indict them. And some call these stories, and, and in fact, Gary Smalley calls them this. He calls them an, an emotional word picture. How many have heard that phrase, emotional word picture? It's a story designed to get under the skin of the ones hearing it to elicit an emotional response, right? Our, post, our personal testimonies can be that as well. When you talk to people of what God has done for you, you're hopefully really resonating with their spirit so they understand what you're going through and what God has done for you. Our testimony is an account of what God has done for us designed to speak a truth to them in a form that touches their heart. When you realize what God has done for you, you can't help but want to tell people about it. Now, we mentioned last week that that particular event happened on Tuesday of what we call Holy Week. Now, this next section appears to have occurred the next day on Wednesday. And again, this is Jesus' enemies trying to trap him. In Mark 12, it starts out with this in verse 13. It says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the word of God in accordance with the truth. It is right to pay, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is on this? And whose inscription? Well, Caesar, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit is able to speak that word and help us to rightly divide it so that everything we say is exactly what you want us to say. And allow the Holy Spirit to seal it in our hearts as we hear what your word tells us and encourages us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we'll look at this a little bit verse by verse. In verse 13, it starts out, Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch, to catch Jesus in his words. How many have ever heard the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Right? Well, that's kind of what's happening here. Because a little history, the Pharisees and Herodians were not friends. They, were, they disagreed on pretty much everything. The Herodians supported the family of Herod as well as the Roman government because the Romans gave them or let them have authority. So they liked Rome, they liked, Her- they liked Herod, they liked everything about him. In other words, Herod and the Roman government allowed them to be seen as having some authority. In order to keep that power, they supported the government, right? And as long as you support the government, they'll let you have authority, they'll, they'll let you do what you want as long as you agreed with them. And that's, a, that's the Herodian. Now, supporting the government, you don't want to get into this thing, but is not in and of itself bad, right? How many know that? Supporting the government's not all bad. But when you compromise your beliefs and your actions in order to stay in its good graces, that's the problem. Acts 5.28. This is, the apostles were out preaching. And it says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. This is the, the authority at that point. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now they were told not to preach. And if they would have listened, everything would have been fine. They'd have been good. They'd have been in good standing with those in authority. But what was their response to that? 
529. The apostles and Peter replied, we must obey God rather than men. Now, before we apply this to every aspect of life, it's not a blanket rule to disobey the government. How many know that, right? It just means that when they demand you to do something that's not biblical or tell you not to do something that's commanded in the Bible, our first allegiance is to what God tells us. How many understand the difference, right? And we have to realize now when that happens, it's going to come with consequences. Back in Acts verse 40, it says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. We're called to obey God in areas of conscience like this. But we have to understand that when this happens, there are going to be consequences that we're going to face. And we have to be ready to face them. If we do it to avoid the consequence, then we're not really obeying God. I heard someone say that, uh, if I can get this right, I didn't write it down. Faith is not, yeah, I can't remember it. It's this mental block. It's, it's basically saying, faith is believing in spite of consequence. In other words, acting in spite of what may happen to you. When you do something in faith, in spite of what you think may happen to you, that's faith. Just believing it and not acting on it is okay, but if you have true faith, you're gonna act on what you believe to be true in spite of what may happen to you. And that's what happened in, in the book of Acts with those guys. So this is the first group. This is the Herodians. They did everything they could to appease the government so they could retain their power. Now the next group was the Pharisees. And they considered Herod and his clan to be evil. They didn't like him. They thought he was usurping the throne of David because Herod was an Edomite, right? He wasn't, he wasn't a Jew. He was not supposed to be in that position and they believed his clan to be evil. Now the Pharisees also opposed the tax that Rome had inflicted on Judea and they resented the way and the very presence of Rome in their land. They hated the Roman government, they hated Herod, they hated everything. So you have two people, polar opposites, coming together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Because they were both now enemies of Jesus. One commentary puts it this way. The Herodians were as obnoxious to the Pharisees on political grounds as the Sadducees were on theological grounds. Yet the two groups unite in their opposition to Jesus. Jesus was the enemy of the Pharisees. Jesus was the enemy of the Herodians. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Now, God always calls for unity in the body of Christ. How many know that to be true, right? Why? Well, one reason is there's power in unity. When everyone comes together in unity, God can do great things through them. If there's division in the body of Christ, then God is kind of hampered on what he can do. James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. So when the enemy starts to dis get in there and sow discord amongst Christians, that's what happens. The enemy gets in there and... He gets his foot in the door, he kicks the door wide open, and all kinds, but the Bible says every evil practice starts happening. Now, both of these groups wanted to trip Jesus up so he would lose support of the crowd of people that were around him, right? Leaving them free to get rid of Jesus without the crowds going crazy. They were afraid to do something because of all the people that were around him. 
If they could get him to answer in a way that everyone would have, would have not liked, then he would not have had their support. So that's why they're trying to trip him. And so now we come to verse 14, and they came to him and said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You're not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I'm reading this the other day, and I'm going to say a name that some of you will know and others will not know. Does the name Eddie Haskell ring a bell with any of you? If you know the old show, Leave it to Beaver. Eddie Haskell was the friend who was always buttering up the adults, always over-flattering the adults, and oh, just everyone, he's trying to gain everybody's approval. This is what these guys are like. Now, do you think anyone in the crowd thought that this was sincere on their part? As you listen to Eddie Haskell say this stuff on TV, I'm thinking the parents are going, you know, yeah, come on, just keep piling it on, buddy. We know it's, it's all fake. I'm thinking that the crowd kind of knew that too. And I'm thinking as, they, as they're hearing this, most of them are groaning. Oh, just so over the top and obvious and obnoxious. These guys aren't sincere. These guys are just trying to butter everybody up. Now, I don't know what they were expecting after that flagrant flattery. But Jesus again turned the tables on their question. Now, last week, instead of answering the question, what did he do? He asked them a question, right? Before I'm answering, I'm going to ask you a question. But here we see Jesus turn it from a political question to a principled question. Now, why? Little history here, because about since AD 6, we talked about the Jews having to pay tax. They've, since 86, they were required to pay tribute tax to the emperor's treasury, right? The zealots, now if you've been watching The Chosen, you kind of get an idea of what the zealots were. They refused to pay. We're not paying that tax. Because to them, if they paid the tax, it was an admission of the Ro Romans' right to govern over them. If you pay the tax, then you're just saying, okay, we agree with you. So they didn't pay it. And the Pharisees, they didn't like the tax, but they didn't fight it. And the Herodians were in favor of the tax. So they were trying to ask Jesus this question to see what camp he's going to fall into. And whichever way he answered, someone was going to be mad. But was Jesus a zealot? Not paying taxes? Or was he a Herodian who loved the tax? Jesus was not about to get drawn into a political debate. He wanted to focus on the principle of taxes. You ever talk to someone and, and they want to debate you? And they usually bring up some political issue to bring in the mix. And you never, you never win. What's, what's the rule of thumb at holidays? Never talk in religion, right? Why? Because everyone's got a viewpoint. And you're never going to solve anything by bringing those things up. And, and Jesus knew that. And when people talk to you about your faith, our job is to focus on what Jesus did for me. Period. They will bring up every, every political issue you can think of. And if you can answer it, fine. But get, the, get it back on Jesus. Because you're just going to get on this rabbit hole of never being able to convince them politically of an issue. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Debating politics never works bringing people to Christ. 
You have to turn the conversation into what Jesus did for you. And Jesus does. He turns the conversation around to the principle of paying taxes. Not the political aspect, the principle of it. Verse 15 says, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Now, do you think Jesus might have had a coin on him at that time? I'm thinking he might have had one. Or his, his disciples might have had one. But he asked the Pharisees and the Herodians to bring a coin. Why? Jesus could have referred to the coin without ever having held the coin. If I tell you to vision, envision a quarter, everyone knows what a quarter looks like. I wouldn't have to produce it for you to know what I was talking about. But Jesus asked them to produce the coin. Why? Because if they were using Roman currency, they have already agreed with the system that that currency represents. So if you're using the money, you've agreed with the Roman government. You're using their system, so you're agreeing with, the, with Caesar's authority. And if they agree, agree with Caesar's authority, then they're obligated to pay the tax since they're using that system. Now, every time there's an election, there's a whole bunch of people that are saying they're leaving the country. <laughs> I, wish, I wish they would leave the country. But they never leave. Why? Because when they stay, they have agreed to live under the authority of whoever it is they don't like but got elected. They don't like this guy. They may like him, they may hate him, but since they stayed, they are agreeing to live under his authority. Right? If they, if they leave, they have no obligation to pay attention to who's in charge. But since they have agreed to stay, they now have to live under whatever happens politically. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is saying, you're already using the system that you say you don't like. So if you're using it, yes, you have to pay the tax. If you don't like the tax, leave Rome. Verse 16. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. So it appears they had a coin. He wanted them to produce the coin because he knew they had one. And if they had one, they've already agreed to the system. And he's saying, guys, you're already a part of the system. You're using their coins. You're using their everything else. So if you're using their coin, Caesar's face is on the coin. You've got to use all this system. You can't pick and choose which part of the system you don't like. So since you're using their money, you have to pay the taxes. Then verse 17 says, And Jesus said, Give to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Now, Jesus is saying, Caesar has a legitimate claim on the tax. But God also has a legitimate claim on you. As long as Caesar's claim doesn't violate God's claim, it's okay. Now, like we said before, our obedience to the government should be okay as long as it doesn't conflict with God's laws. Just paying our taxes, as much as we hate them, does not violate God's law, right? You may not like where our tax dollars go, and most of us don't, 
but you're still obligated to pay it because we're in this system. If you don't like it, move to Canada. Even if, and this is pretty much a given, even if they misuse our money, we still have to pay taxes because we live in this system. We are still the recipients of police and fire and national protection, roads and utilities. And since we've agreed to be part of this system, we're obligated to pay it. Again, as long as it doesn't violate God's word. Now, let me pull my soapbox out here a little bit and talk about government and God. One commentary says this, Jesus is not saying that the claims of God and Caesar are the same. He is indicating that there are obligations to Caesar which do not infringe on the rights of God, but are indeed ordained by God. So, Romans 13. Now, a couple years ago when we were having COVID, you heard this a lot in sermons. I'll read these verses to you. Romans 13, starting in verse 1, says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he, will, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from the fear of, one, of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. Remember that. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but because of conscience. That is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, we're not going to go this, through this verse by verse. But I'm going I'm to ask you some questions, and I'm going to assign some homework. Do your research on these questions. First question, did God establish evil governments? If not, then do evil governments have authority from God? The verse one says, there is no authority except which God has established. If God does not establish evil governments, then do they have authority? If not, do you still need to respect and obey it? So what constitutes an evil government? I'm not answering these questions, these are just questions. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to suffer for going, going against the evil government. But if it doesn't have God's authority, should you? Here's a question. Was the Revolutionary War right in God's eyes? You get both sides of the spectrum on that. We fought the British government. We did not obey our government at that point, which was the British government. We fought against them. Should we have fought against them? Or should we have submitted yourself to the governing authorities? 
Now, if you Google that question, you'll find responses on both sides of that. Bringing it closer to home, did the government have God's authority to close down churches during COVID? Did they? And I'm only asking these questions because every government will eventually turn on you. Do history. And at what point do you go against the government with God's approval? Like the apostle said, we must obey God rather than men. And I'm asking that because do you have in your life, your personal life, a line of demarcation? Is there a point where you say this and no more? If you don't have that line firmly set, then what's going to happen, and not just your feelings, what happens when that slope starts to get a little slippery? There has to be a point in your life where you, you come to a point and say, okay, once they do this, that's enough. Do you have that in the back of your mind? Do you know when that is going to be? Or what's going to happen if you don't have that, every little thing that happens, you're going to be okay with because it's not that big of a thing. But then the little things become bigger things. And the things, when they become really big, now you can't change them because you should have changed them back then. Now the Pharisees didn't like the taxes, but they paid them just to keep the peace. If you're a history of World War II, Neville Chamberlain came back from his first meeting with the German government and says, hey, they're cool, there's going to be peace in our time, right? That was peace at any cost. If our goal is only peace all the time, then eventually what's going to happen is the same thing that happened to them. There has to be a line where you say, at this point, I am not going to do this, and it's going to be, I'm going to have to suffer for that, but I can't go along with what they're doing. Verse 17 says, and they were amazed at him. Why? Because they weren't expecting his answer. They really thought they had him trapped. The answer, his answer was simple, but profound. But since he didn't answer like they hoped he would, he didn't give them a yes, he didn't give them a no, what happened? They distorted his answer to meet their needs. Because later on when he's brought in before Pilate, they said this about his answer. Now remember, Jesus says, pay taxes, got to pay them. But this is what the, the Pharisees said about him. In Luke 23, it says, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ the king. Obviously, Jesus never said that. But it didn't matter. Because now they had him away from the crowds. There's no threat of an uprising. And they outright lied to Herod about that, or Pilate. And there was no one there to contradict what they were saying. How many realize that Christians are constantly misunderstood and misrepresented? 
And we mentioned before about answering someone and not answering someone. You know, answering someone, you know, according to the, answer a fool according to his folly, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Sometimes it just doesn't matter what we say to people. If they don't want to hear it, they're going to twist it to fit what they think and to fit their narrative. You watch any, any talk show, any interview, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, it doesn't mean we don't ever talk to anyone. It just means that when we do, it might get rep- misrepresented. And that's where we need discernment on whether to engage someone in a conversation or not. And just because you get, might get misrepresented doesn't mean you don't engage them. It just means you need to understand that it may come to that and what may happen after that. Jesus answered the Herodians and Pharisees at this point, back in the Mark's gospel. But now when they're asking him that in current day, when he's before Pilate, he doesn't answer them. Matthew 27, 13, Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now, I'm going to close with this. We're early. Going back to the question I asked before, have you set up for yourself this line of demarcation, not only for government things, but other issues that come up in your life? Things that call for you to have an answer or a response. Do you know how you're going to respond when someone asks you about an issue? Or says something you didn't say or you don't believe? Or maybe they call you out as a bigot because you say Jesus is the only way. Do you have an answer on what you're going to say? And Jesus says, you know, we shouldn't be surprised it's going to happen. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's going to get worse. How many understand that? Are you ready for that? How are you going to respond when that time comes? Are you going to stand tall and face whatever consequences might come your way? Jesus did. He knew what was coming. And all, if you read Fox's book of martyrs, so did all the disciples, except for John. They were all martyred. And John basically spent his last days on a, on a rock of an island by himself, just dying on his own. Maybe the government now tells you something you can't do or you must do. As a believer, how are you going to respond? What does God say about each of these issues? We should expect and be prepared for these things because Jesus says they are coming. I think it's Peter that says, always be prepared to give an answer to those you, to those you ask of the hope you have within. In other words, when G- people ask you about this Jesus thing, do you have an answer for them? Do you know what you're going to say? Or are you stumbling for things to say? Jesus says this stuff is coming. 
But in verse 12, it says in Matthew 5, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right now, it takes guts to be a Christian in most parts of the world. People are being martyred all the time. If you look up the statistics, I didn't. But the last time I looked, there were more people martyred in the 20th century than all the previous centuries for Christians. Are you ready for that to happen? It's going to happen. Now, maybe not in my lifetime, but maybe you younger folks, maybe in your lifetime. It, in fact, it's happening now. Go to any school board meeting and you'll find out that it's happening. But you know what? God already has everything under control, right? Nothing that's going to happen that God doesn't know about, God isn't prepared for, and God won't prepare us for. Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? People will try to trip you up by asking you questions that really have no answer. What's your answer going to be? We all have had the hard questions asked of us. Why is there evil? Did God make the devil? Why is there sickness? You've all been there. I was there. And some questions you just don't have answers for. But your faith is what carries you through that. That God is still in control. God is still sovereign. And the Bible says God does everything well. Everything. It might not be well at this moment for me. But God says it's well. Romans 8, 28. God works together for good all things. Right? Not most, not some. In all things, God works together for good. For those who love him, that's the codicil. If you're a Christian, God works all those things together for our good. In his glory, amen? amen. Let's pray. If you're here this morning, maybe you've never really committed your life to Christ and you're not really sure what we're talking about or maybe this stuff kind of scares you. It shouldn't. You need to be warned of things and be prepared for things, but the Bible says we're not to be afraid. But if you're here and you, you're not really sure about what we're talking about and you don't know this Jesus like we're talking about and you're still kind of questioning who God is or who Jesus is. Well, the Bible says, I'll make it easy. The Bible says we're all sinners. Every one of us, every one of us, the only person who was sinless was Jesus. So everybody who's walked the face of the earth has been a sinner. And being a sinner just means you're choosing your own way, you're not choosing God. And there's multiple words that God uses for sin. So you're choosing to be away from God and when we die, the Bible says that God's going to let us keep that choice. We will be away from God after we die. But the Bible says because the wage of the sin is death, God sent Jesus. He is going to pay that debt for me and for you. 
The death he suffered should have been me. Should have been each one of us. But Jesus says, no, just, I'm going to do this for you. And the only thing I'm asking you to do is, is believe that what I'm doing is for you. And not just believe it in your head, but believe it in your heart. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you've never received that gift, today's the day for that. The Bible says as many as receive him, to those he gave the authority of the right to be called children of God. You have to receive the gift to be a kid, God's kid. If you haven't received the gift, then you're not God's kid. But God's doing everything he can to get your attention to make you make that choice. It's just a choice. God's not going to make you do it. He wants you to do it because you love him. And understand he loves you too. So if that's you and you want to make that decision today, that choice to believe in Christ, to allow him to clean you of all your sin, the things that keep you away from God, I want you to raise your hand. We want to introduce you to Jesus this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you have faced some of these things in your life. You have faced situations where you've had to make a choice and you've had to take a stand. And it may have cost you to take that stand. God was there with you through that stand. God was honored as you did that for him. Maybe you haven't faced that position yet. But I'm pretty sure at some point in your life it's going to come up. That you will have to make a choice to either go with the crowd, keep the peace, or choose to stand for God. So I'm going to pray that we're able to do that when that time comes. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and we thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you for dying for me Dying for me. The word tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. While, you, while we hated you and despised you, and you still died for me. So Father, I pray that you would give each one of us the encouragement and the strength that when these times come of difficulty, where we have to choose to do the right thing, I pray that you would give each one of us the Spirit of God, the strength to endure, the strength to do the right thing. And in the process of doing the right thing, allow people to see us doing that right thing and allow their lives to be transformed by our testimony. So that when we're struggling and we're suffering for Christ, people see that and they want to know why we're able to do that and now we're able to share that with them. So Lord, help us to do that. Put words in our mouth, put Bible verses in our mouth, put situations in our head that we're able to immediately give an answer to those who ask. So we're able to stand tall. Let your word of God come back and just at the moment of temptation, let the Holy Spirit bring back your word to us so that we're able to make the right choice. Father, we love you this morning and we're so thankful for all you've done in our life and we just want to honor you by living a life that's pleasing to you. And we pray that you would help us to do that. 
Now, Father, we pray your blessing upon us as we leave this morning. We pray for our luncheon that's coming up, that God, you would have blessed the food to our bodies. Allow us to really enjoy a time of fellowship. We thank you for you, the food you provided. And we pray that we would honor you through our time of fellowship in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you downstairs.